Sub Rosa. A podcast about security, human rights, conflict and law with an Australian and Southeast Asian focus. For this episode of Sub Rosa, I spoke to David Schaefer from the University of Melbourne. We spoke about his research on the role of space technology in the military alliance between the United States and Australia. We spoke about how changes in technology have changed the nature of the US-Australian alliance in ways that haven't been widely recognised. We also discussed the implications this had for Australia if conflict broke out between the United States and China. Enjoy. Hello, David. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, as background, can you tell listeners a bit about yourself and your research interests? Sure. So, I'm a uh, junior research fellow here at Ormond College and a research associate at AsiaLink, which are both at the University of Melbourne. Um, my research interest is broadly defined as intelligence in international security. So, that's mostly looking at the role of intelligence agencies in shaping foreign policy and defence policy. And that kind of comes from a background of working in think tanks um, and also studying at King's College in London, which is where I did my MA, and I kind of picked up an interest in intelligence there. Oh, excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, Just quickly, what was your MA in at King's College and Uh, what other think tanks you've worked in? Sure. So it was uh, an MA in War Studies, which is the course that they have been holding there since the 1950s, I think it is. I have done different work for a a variety of think tanks, Um, the Lowy Institute for International Policy in Sydney. I worked there for a little while under its then military fellow, James Brown, who features in the article that I've written about. Also, the Centre for Air Power Studies in New Delhi. I went there for a little while and I was a non-residential staff member there and I wrote a monograph for them a couple of years ago now. So, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Mm -hmm. So you've written an article for the Australian Journal of International Affairs that just got published this month, I think. Uh, online released, yeah, just this month. Ah, yes. Called Australia's New Alliance Dynamics, US-China Rivalry and Conflict Entrapment in Outer Space. Mm. What does your article contend? Uh, basically that we need to rethink the way that Australia is exposed to great power rivalry and conflict. So there's a lot of research during the Cold War that looks at Australia's intelligence ties Um, The late Des Ball, very famous pioneering scholar, did a lot of work on this to uncover and kind of map a lot of Australia's intelligence relationships and the way that they feed into national security policy. So during the Cold War, there was a concern that a lot of Australia's intelligence relationships, particularly the infrastructure for intelligence coordination, housed in these joint facilities in the Australian outback. So this would be like Pine Gap. Pine Gap is a good example, that's right. Um, these facilities would expose Australia to nuclear conflict because they played such an important role in maintaining US nuclear posture. And so it would be the first target that a Soviet Union would choose if it was trying to cripple American warfighting capacity. Um, And that's an argument that continues to surface. We can still see some people talk about Pine Gap's role and its exposure to missiles. And what I've essentially done is consider the changing nature of our interaction through intelligence with the US and look at the exposure to cyber conflict and kind of map that against some conflict scenarios in Asia where we could see cyber weapons being used first instead of nuclear weapons. All right. So in the article, you talk about Australia being at the risk of conflict entrapment Mm -hmm. if a great power conflict was to break out and that this is exacerbated by certain intelligence aspects of the Australia-US alliance and you particularly focus on the role of space technology. Can you elaborate on this in some more detail? 
Sure. So Australia's role in the US space security agenda is largely as a convenient geographic location. Um, we first began hosting a lot of space infrastructure on the ground to enable communication through the American satellite network. And that began in the early to mid 1960s, largely because we were the one ground location near the Indian and Pacific Oceans that was free of the risk of local espionage and offered a kind of a relatively politically stable and secure ally of the US. Um, so Pine Gap's the perfect example, very famous instance of a classified US military installation whose primary function is basically to control and coordinate the role of satellites. Satellites that are positioned anywhere from the Indian Ocean out west to the eastern reaches of the Pacific Ocean. Australia's role is largely, as I say, kind of as a ground-based facilitator and enabler of this activity. But we're also increasingly investing in American space systems. During the Cold War, it was very easy to target a ground-based installation like Pine Gap with a nuclear weapon. It wasn't as easy to disrupt the satellites themselves, which were coordinated by Pine Gap. That's now changing. One of, the la one of the major shifts in international security over the last 15 years has been the growing militarization of space. It was always occupied and controlled by militaries, but what we're seeing is much more offensive weaponry technology able to target those satellites. And so in response, the Americans have leaned on a lot of their allies to pick up some of the burden, essentially invest in a shared framework for satellites and for satellite communications. Um, so look, as a result of the increasing militarization of space and the vulnerability of the assets in space, basically satellites, what we're seeing is a lot of different efforts for Australia to expand their access to space by purchasing new satellites, um, diversify the kinds of tools they use to control satellites, and also to integrate their information flows with other friendly allies who are operating in space so that they can generate a better shared understanding of what's actually happening in space. Okay, so can you go a bit more into how these satellites are vulnerable? I would have seen on the news a few times China has tested anti-satellite missiles and that's been quite controversial. Um, but what else is there apart from just shooting a missile at the satellite, you know, from the ground up? Mm. So there's, uh, there's another physical threat in terms of co-orbital attacks. Satellites are increasingly capable of attacking other satellites. Um, Brian Whedon, who's a space expert in the US, often talks about the idea of one satellite simply developing a robotic arm and snapping off the solar panel of another satellite, which in a volatile place like outer space is tantamount to death for a satellite. Um, they can be jammed through electromagnetic radiation, which is quite common. Jamming happens all the time, sometimes inadvertently as a result of civilian activity on the ground. They can also be hacked, in part because satellites take a very long time to develop, so they're usually operating on older software, and they're, remote, they're updated remotely because everything in space is done via electromagnetic signals. So it's relatively easy for an intruder to establish contact with a satellite. You can spoof satellites, but how to put it, at least four different hacking attempts were recorded over the years 2007-2008 mm -hmm. on NASA's civilian satellites. 
Look, one thing I would mention, Andrew, for this, the most important change, I think, over the long term, isn't the procurement of satellite technology or the building of defences. It's the attempt to try and integrate all the information between different space actors. So Australia doesn't just have military satellites that it uses via the US. It also has a lot of ground-based space technology that can monitor things in outer space. It has space telescopes that look at particular objects, sometimes foreign satellites. There's an entire worldwide network of ground-based space infrastructure that is collecting information. And in the last five years in particular, what we've seen is a very concerted effort by the US to integrate this together into one large pool of information. Among its allies. Among its allies, that's right. And some people basically look at it like it's an extension of the Five Eyes Intelligence Network, but in outer space. Okay, so you write of this as a potential risk or problem, though. Well, why is that? What, how does it change? How does it possibly entrap us into conflict unwittingly? I didn't actually think this up. Um, I stole it. There's actually an event that took place in 2010, a war game involving US Space Command, its NATO partners, and Australia. They simulated a military scenario that began with American military satellites being targeted with cyber attacks and being knocked out. And by all accounts, and there isn't that much written about this, but by all accounts, it shocked those present. Um, you know, these are very high-powered officials in military space and intelligence agencies attending these things, keeping a track on the implications of space technology for their defence and strategic policy. And they were amazed at how little mastery they had of outer space when they think about cybersecurity and cyber vulnerability. So I first read this when I was researching a few years ago, and I thought, well, this is interesting. Um, well, it's not just interesting. It's absolutely fascinating and compelling. But and consequential. Exactly. But there's no effort to try and tease out the implications for a small country like Australia that has been dependent on space for so long. And that's particularly surprising because you have this history of Australian academics like a Des Ball looking at this stuff in the nuclear context. So I just wanted to update it for cyber. So could you outline a scenario then where Australia's dependence on such space technology and integration into this American-led, uh, often space-based intelligence alliance, could result in Australia being entrapped in a crisis. Sure. Um, so the article that I wrote was informed by work by Lyle Goldstein, who's an American scholar who looks at crisis management in the US-Chinese relationship. Um, he puts forward the idea of routine defence exports from the US to Taiwan, triggering a angry response from Beijing, basically because China assumes with growing power that the US will be less likely to support Taiwan. It's shocked by a decision by US administration to send arms to Taiwan in response decides to economically punish Taiwan. Let's say that this crisis escalates. It leads to a point where the Chinese are threatening to military, militarily invade and occupy Taiwan Island. Now, the first thing they need to do would be to remove any capacity for the US military to respond immediately, to intervene before this situation had finished. What's the first thing they would target? The eyes and ears of the American military, all of which are located or connected to space. So you might see attempts to jam, to control, to shut down, to scramble the data of communication satellites. Now, most American military thinkers will say 
that without a short access to space, it's very difficult for a lot of their high technology platforms to operate. Because in recent years, we've seen the digitization of militaries and by extension, their dependence on more data. And there's an American, possibly military figure you quote in the article saying that a single American satellite being knocked out could actually lose America's coverage over an entire geographic region. Ah, yeah, this is William Shelton. Yeah, so former head of US Space Command um, giving a speech a couple of years ago saying that he was worried that the space assets that the Americans had was so tautly drawn around the world that there was such a lack of spare resiliency and capacity in the space network that, yeah, if they shot one out of the sky, it might mean that the president couldn't communicate with military units in that part of the world. Now, this is, you know, I should say, um, this is a worst-case scenario. I don't think it's immediately very likely, but it is something that is driving a lot of discussion in Washington, D.C. It's driving their military procurement decisions, and it's increasingly occupying the minds of think tankers and military writers and experts in the U.S., because we're so connected with their space system, we don't have any other choice but to think about how that would affect Australia. Okay, and so in this scenario, if China targets America's space-based technology for you know, that it uses for communications or intelligence purposes, um, what's the process by which that impacts Australia? Well, the key thing is that they're not just targeting American satellites, they're targeting our satellites, because we share all of our space technology with the US. Uh-huh. So we actually don't have any indigenous military or security satellites that belong to the Australian Defence Force. It's all shared with our allies. If the crisis had reached a point where the Chinese felt as if they had to launch an invasion of Taiwan, then I don't think they would be concerned if by targeting American satellites they also happened to damage Australian interests. The issue for us as a small country that's entirely dependent on America's military presence in space is that that's our entire capacity to have a short access to space. So all kinds of industries in Australia, things like mining, transport, finance, things that rely on the precise sequencing that space satellites can give us, all of them would be thrown into turmoil. Okay. So one implication of this could be that while it might be popularly thought of that the alliance would work in such a way that if conflict between America and China you know, broke out, Australia would have to then make a difficult choice about whether to join in in the name of the ANZUS alliance or take the unlikely approach of trying to stay out of it. But what your article argues is, in fact, those decisions may in effect already be made for us in the cyberspace realm and in outer space That's right. because of new technology shortly before bullets actually start flying and political leaders actually, you know, have the time to make decisions themselves. Yeah. And that we affect, we're more tied in to a potential American conflict, America-China conflict, than we might realise. Exactly. I mean, my concern is that we have this fiction of diplomatic manoeuvrability in a crisis like this. Um, that it might be that if bullets start flying and people are dying on the Taiwan Straits, that we have a breathing space, some time to make a political decision about what we want to do. Um, I think we'd find that the reality, the hardware and infrastructure of our collaboration with the US via space means that if space is involved in this crisis, and it almost certainly will be in every single military crisis because that's where the US is so vulnerable, if that's the case, then we're automatically involved. Now, we obviously have the choice to still refuse to do anything and to cut ourselves off, but it's only by virtue of American goodwill that we have access to space to begin with. So I think 
if we were speculating about a crisis where the US was already under attack and they had a limited amount of capacity in their space networks, they're not about to continue to allow us to access space for commercial and civilian reasons while they're struggling militarily. They're going to say to us, either you're with us or you're not. And if we're not with them, then we lose complete access. The consequences of that are so concerning and catastrophic, I don't think anyone could even think it through. It really is like thinking about a potential nuclear war. Okay. Is this unique to Australia, though? Because obviously we're not the only American ally, and certainly not the only one that would be affected if um, a crisis between America and China broke out. Mm. So South Korea, Japan, and other countries, do they not also face the same situation? They do, to a degree, but these are countries that also have indigenous space programs with their own satellites that answer to their own militaries. So both South Korea and Japan have invested in building satellites. The scariest thing for me, thinking about this, is that we're out on a limb in a way that no other US ally in the world is. Every other US ally that's investing heavily in this space framework is doing so because they already have considerable assets. They have their own satellites answering to their own militaries. We don't have that. We're unique among nations in the degree of dependence we have on American space systems. South Korea, Japan, of course they would be tied up. Of course they might suffer some kind of cyber um, effect, be it just simply a strain on their data networks or maybe there are likely consequences for their different industries like finance or energy that are reliant on space. But still, they do have an independent capacity to observe and to coordinate their own military units using their own assets, which are distinct from American ones. And that's not something that applies to us. Okay, so you're saying the manner in which Australia could become involved, uh, potentially against its will, into a great power conflict has changed a lot since the 1980s debates over Pine Gap and a potential conflict between America and the Soviet Union Um, because of changes in technology, both space-based and cyber. uh, That's changed a lot in the past 30 years, correct? It has. Um, And in ways that make me more worried about our future foreign policy. Um, There's nothing worse than the prospect of nuclear extinction that continues to exist. So a lot of the good work that people like Des Ball or Hedley Bull did in the 1970s, understanding Australia's role in a nuclear conflict or a conflict that escalates to nuclear weapons, still very relevant. This is another layer entirely, kind of sub-nuclear, right? Um, Much more immediate, much more uncontrollable, as we've learned from cyber in other areas, much less understood and much less regulated and policed. So unlike in a time of nuclear war when you had well understood well reasonably well understood military doctrines and very tight political control over decision making about weapons here we have an area that's dominated by intelligence agencies we have an area that involves technical decisions around cyber security um which have really a, a, you know a questionable amount of political oversight and understanding we're not quite sure how much the details of the information sharing networks that we're building in order to improve space security is properly understood by our policy officials. And that means that there's an entire new area of Australian exposure, which kind of sits in this grey zone. And I think we need to do a lot more to tease out some of these problems and to really think about how it might 
influence the direction of our foreign policy. Okay. So what impact might Trump's presidency have on all this? <laughs> what impact might Trump's presidency have on anything, I suppose? <laughs> um, look, it's hard to say. Um, I suppose that my first thought is that it makes the my concerns even more pressing because the findings I've put forward about space conflict are built on the assumption of the likelihood of crisis between the US and China. And from what we can tell so far with Trump's erraticism, um, Asian security seems far more crisis-prone than it was even two or three years ago. Um, one of the challenges for thinking about cyber and space is that norms and understandings about crisis behaviour haven't been properly established. With someone like Trump, who could just make a call way out of the way off the reservation, or order some kind of strange response that wasn't expected, the probability of uncertainty and the likelihood of misunderstanding grows. So, I suppose I'm even more worried than I was when I began to write this a few years ago. Yes, and there's other dimensions that are becoming quite clear at the moment. That's not just potential conflict over Taiwan, but there's also North Korea and other crises that could develop. Exactly right. And I think what I'm doing now as a result of this article is thinking more about Australia's role in North Asian security dynamics. Um, it's usually, that's one part of our foreign policy where we tend to be very concerned, but we feel as if we have very little to contribute. Um, and I would like to see us doing more to engage with these kinds of partners you've mentioned, South Korea, Japan, US space allies that would be exposed, if not as exposed as Australia in this area, to think about some of those norms and some of those um, expected behaviours and the kind of patterns that we would like to see help stabilise crisis management and really improve our ability to avoid conflict. Okay. And what implications does this have for the study of security in Australia, security scholarship? Look, I think in the article, you know, I mentioned that there's a couple of areas where more critical thinking about space and intelligence cooperation in outer space could be helpful, particularly in terms of middle power diplomacy and crisis management. Um, Brendan Taylor and Nick Beasley wrote a great paper a few years ago looking at the role of ANZUS and whether or not, whether or not it would apply in an East Asia maritime security incident. So, you know, basically... A, a potential conflict between China and Japan. I would like to see space as another layer of thinking integrated into these kinds of studies. I think that would be really helpful. Um, I think we also need to spend far more time thinking about the diplomatic, the political and the strategic implications of Australia's intelligence relationships. You know, these are powerfully beneficial and personally, I support them and I think that they're valuable for us. There's a reason why Australia hasn't invested the resources to build its own space sector and to, to have our own space assets, we effectively can't afford to unless we're going to rethink our priorities as a nation, and it doesn't look like we will. There are all kinds of issues that arise from that. So in this area, you know, there are really good people who do a lot of thinking. I know Sharon Lee is someone who thinks a lot about Taiwan, um, a Taiwanese crisis, and she has mentioned um, the role of the joint facilities. But I think there is an absence of serious in-depth study of intelligence as an area in Australia, with a few notable exceptions. 
we do need to be mindful of the powerful strategic role that intelligence plays in our foreign policy and defence policy. And as your article argues, the strategic risks it entails. That's right, yeah. And the obligations it places on us to think through things like regional crisis management, whereas we would usually steer clear of that. Hopefully that changes. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Andrew. I'm a big fan and... Um, I look forward to the next podcast. Thank you.